Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. So I'm in week two right now of a brand new series that I've just started called No Lost Causes. Look at someone next to you and say, No Lost Causes. And this series is based on what Jesus said in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is sitting down and tax collectors and sinners are being drawn to his words. And they're being drawn to him personally. They're they're attracted to him. They're attracted to his message. And what's happening is when broken, lost people are drawn toward Jesus, the first people that are offended are the religious people who have got everything figured out. And in classic form, it says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law started muttering. So they're offended. And I think a lot of times religious people are the ones who are offended by things that don't fit in their box. And they start criticizing Jesus. This man welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. So Jesus goes into these three back-to-back stories, back-to-back-to-back stories. And he starts off by saying, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after that lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. So last week to kick off my series, I talked about this idea. I kind of asked a question to begin with. I said, have you ever lost something? You ever lost your keys? You ever lost your wallet? Then I kind of got more ridiculous. I said, have you ever lost a human? You ever, you know, you ever lost a person? I kind of talked about the story when Jude was little. He got lost at SeaWorld, and Amy and I were like, where is he? And it's frustrating to, to lose a person. <laughs> you feel bad when you lose a person. But in the same way, we can relate to that story. Who would lose their kid and look at their spouse and go, well, we lost him, but are the other kids here? You know, do we have them? You know, who would do that? No one would do that. What would you do? If you lose something that's of value to you, You're not interested in the ones that you didn't lose at that moment. You've got them. What are you interested in? Finding what you've lost. So Jesus uses this as an example that he is after lost people. And last week we kind of defined the terms that a lost person is someone who has been misplaced or someone who is displaced or someone who can't find their way. There's a difference in a lost person and a lost cause. A lost cause is something that has no hope. And I got news for you. Anything with no hope is just something that has not yet been introduced to the love of Jesus. So with Jesus, there are no lost causes. There are lost people, but there are no lost causes. So the story continues. Uh, Jesus tells that story about losing the sheep. Then he goes on and he talks about, in verse 8, Uh, He says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. 
In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So now another story. He's gone from a guy that goes out and finds a lost sheep to a woman who has lost something. And, and look, I'm just telling you something. Women know how to search for things. They just, and when you lose something, is there a woman here that when you lose something, you can't rest until you find it? Raise your hand. If it's you. I don't know what it is about ladies, but they turn into detectives when they lose things. They start retracing their steps. They break out their detective journal. They start flashlights. They start looking in places that you never look. I'm like, why are you looking under that cushion? I didn't sit on that couch. And she'll hold up the cushion and pull out my keys like this. I'll be like, oh yeah, I did sit on that couch. I see what you're talking about. So this is a perfect analogy of got 10 coins, loses one. Another thing I like about this story is it goes from 100 and loses one to 10 that loses one. So the value is even greater in the second story. And now we come to the third story of a father who's got two sons and he loses one. So the value keeps getting greater uh, in all the stories. But before I actually get into to that particular story, I want to talk about an idea here today. I'm, I'm going to pray and get into this idea. I'll read the scripture and then I'll pray and get into this idea. But this idea is about the fact that we have I think the wrong mentality when it comes to the value God places on people, uh, and I'll, I'll dig deeper into that in just a second, but I'm going to read this, pray, and get into that idea. First Timothy 1, 12-15, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to the saved sinners of whom I am the worst. The Apostle Paul here calling himself the worst sinner. I love that about him. I love that honesty um, that he recognizes that he's the worst not just was the worst, he is the worst. He says, I am the worst. He says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Here's week two of No Lost Causes. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness here today. Holy Spirit, pray that you continue to move in the hearts of every person in this room and allow me to deliver this message in a way that honors you and leads people toward you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so this is important for us to know that no matter how uh, mature we are as believers, all of us have been lost, okay? Say this with me, say, all have sinned, including me. Okay, look at someone next to you. They're not gonna like you for this. Say, all have sinned, including you. Why'd you enjoy that so much? You hated the last one. You hate it. You look like you were dying when you said the first one about yourself. You were literally smiling, telling the person next to you that they're a sinner. Wow, okay, I see how it is. <laughs> I think it's important for us to know that we were all lost. We're either lost now or we were lost. All of us have been in that place of being lost. Even if you're, you know, and it, kind of we mess up these stories sometimes. Because we forget the fact that we were saved 
by grace. And that we were dead in our sins and Christ made us alive when we were dead. We didn't have anything to do about it. One time, I heard a pastor that was asked to teach the story I'm about to teach today about the prodigal son. And they declined. They said, I can't because I can't relate to being a prodigal. And I just thought, whoa, maybe you don't know what the story actually means. Uh, because all of us have been lost. Let's say that one more time. All of us have been lost. For anyone that thinks that you were never lost, you're deceived. Okay, you were dead in your sins. Dead means dead. Okay, so you were dead in your sins. It was Christ that quickened you. He gave you the ability. The Bible says no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That means the only thing that could ever make you know that you need Jesus is the Holy Spirit making you aware of the fact that you need Jesus. So it's not you. you you're not to... You, you are not to credit for your salvation. It is Christ and Christ alone that is to credit for your salvation. So we were lost. If we do not ever have the perspective that we were personally lost at one time, then we will never get this message. We will never appreciate this message. As a matter of fact, we will probably play the role of the Pharisees who were accusing Jesus of hanging out with sinners. That's going to be who we are for the rest of our lives. If we don't think we were lost then we will always be that judgmental person that's looking down on every sinner, that's looking down on every broken person in the world. But the truth of it is, is just like Paul said, is it possible that Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was, a, was a, the chief sinner and that you weren't at one time? No, I think it's quite possible that you were at one time, or if you think you weren't, you are right now. Okay? It, I, th I think that's probably what's going on with you, is that you're, you're seriously deceived. If you don't think you were lost ever, then you're probably lost right now. And I pray for you in Jesus' name. Okay? Because that's what this story's about. So we have to stop believing that there are lost causes. And we have to start recognizing there are no lost causes with Jesus. There are only lost people. Okay? And, and lost people can be found. And in Jesus' name, they will be found. Uh, so Ezekiel, here's the point that I want to make. I was telling you earlier I want to get into this idea that we get the wrong mentality. And, and this is something now I'm just going to tell you. When I preach, I pray that people are always encouraged. But when I'm studying, a lot of times I want to challenge people with things that challenge me. So as I'm reading scripture and I go, ooh, that hurts. Uh, rather than just, you know, take the easy route and come here to go, oh, you can make it. You can overcome anything. You're setback is just a setup for a comeback and all these things that everyone says all the time. I agree with all that stuff and it's great and I think there's times that we have to be encouraged but I feel like that we grow the most when we have to face negative opposition. You know when you lift that weight and you know when your muscle hurts? When, when you're getting that negative resistance uh, when you get that resistance you go ah that hurts. What happens is when you and I need, to, I need more negative resistance in my body right now. Uh, after blink in Jesus name but uh, <laughs> you know, it's like today I woke up I was like you know I'm gonna do low carb today I was like wait I ate four Oreos for breakfast that's not gonna work okay we'll just do that some other time that just doesn't work it's like as you're eating the bacon you're like it's low carb day you're like well that doesn't work okay so anyways so the negative resistance is the is the thing that ends up building you so that's what I try to do sometimes when I preach is I I want to put things out there that challenge us to grow in our faith. Can I get an amen from someone? And I hope that doesn't bother you. I mean, if you're here and you're like, I just want people to make me feel good all the time. I think there's a lot of churches that do that and, and maybe you need to go there, but that's not, this is not one of them. This is a church that I want to preach the Bible and I want to preach the word. And even if it hurts and it doesn't feel good, I want to preach what the Bible says. 
and I want us to, to grow. So listen to this. This is one we're not going to like. You're clapping now, but you won't be clapping in 30 seconds, okay? <laughs> Ezekiel, <laughs> Ezekiel 18. Listen to this. You're not going to like this. It says, do I, this is God speaking. Here's how our view differs from God so much, okay? He says, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Okay, so let me, let's dig into that for just a second. It's actually saying that when extremely wicked people, by our estimation, when we look at people and go, they're terrible, they did these terrible things, they hurt people, they killed people, they did whatever. God is actually saying, do you think that I get pleasure when a person dies and does not repent? He says, no, I don't get any pleasure when they die in their wickedness. But he actually says, but am I not pleased when they turn from their wicked ways and live? Look at someone next to you and say murderer. That's Paul. I just read you Paul because Paul said I was the chief of sinners. Paul was violent. He murdered innocent Christians. Paul was a terrible person. He was a wicked person. Any of us, if we saw the news stories, on the front headline of the news about the things that Paul did, and if we saw him, we would probably turn to the person next to us and say, I hope they shoot him and he dies. Why? Because our concept of justice is much different than God's. What God is saying is I want wicked people to turn from their wicked ways and to repent and to serve me. I wonder how many people in this room have a really rough past, but have a really great future with Jesus. I wonder how many people in this room have made terrible mistakes, that if we were to judge one another based on what we think someone should get in the moment, none of us would have a future. But thank God that he sees beyond that, and he's patient with us, and he wants us to make good choices. He wants us to make good decisions, turn from our wicked ways. So listen, here, okay, I told you, I'm going to hit you with a couple of things you're not going to like. Number one, you don't like that. You don't like the fact that God is patient with wicked people and wants them to turn. Why don't you like it? Because I don't like it either. And I'm like, yeah. Okay? So we don't like this idea. We want justice. When we see something evil, we're like, they should die. This, they should be put away forever. We, we just want them to pay. Okay, but let's look at, let's look at how God actually feels about righteous people. Psalm 116 and 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. In a room of a thousand people, not one amen. Now, what is, why? Because it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his faithful. Who wants to amen about their own possible death someday? To go, yay, God's going to be happy about my death. Nobody gets excited about that. Now, does that mean that we can't be healed? No, he's our healer. He's Jehovah Rapha. Does that mean Isaiah 53 and 5 is not true? No, Isaiah 53 and 5 is true. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We're healed. Does that mean that we're not more than conquerors? No, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. All that stuff is totally true, but what's saying is that, what it's saying is that there will come a day when each of us transitions from this life and we pass away. And what's saying is whatever, that, whatever day that is, that's a day that actually the Lord is happy on that day because we get to receive the reward for our life. Okay, but isn't it true that we're the exact opposite 
than God because it just says that God is sad when a wicked person dies, but he's happy when a righteous person dies. It's the opposite with us. We're happy when wicked people die, and we're sad when righteous people die. Is it, isn't it true? Say amen if it's true. I told you you're not going to like this. The head stopped nodding when I got to this last scripture. You guys were like, yeah, say it, Pastor. Now you're like, don't be mad. Get better, not bitter. We categorize, we celebrate what we consider justice. What, what am I trying to do here? I'm trying to tell you we have to have patience with people that are lost the way God has patience with us. We have to make room for people to find their way. We have to make room for people to be in a distant land squandering their wealth and, and, and squandering their life with wild living like this story that I'm about to talk about. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow keeping his promises. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish. Say he doesn't want anyone to perish. Come on, say it. Say he doesn't want anyone to perish. It says, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Yeah, I've, I've seen stories, you know, about, about serial killers that end up accepting Christ in jail. And I've, I've heard family members just look at that and just go, just go, yeah, right. How do we know? How do we know? Look, I'm, I told you, I'm not preaching for amens today. I'm trying to challenge you. Because our system of justice is whack. We think we know best. We think we know who deserves to be redeemed and who doesn't. Be very careful that you don't get what you deserve in life. Okay, if you're, if, you're, if you're demanding that everyone get what they deserve, everyone else get the, what they deserve, you better pray that God doesn't feel that way toward you. Okay, because his standard is perfection. And either you live up to it or you don't. And the only one that ever lived up to it on this planet is someone named Jesus Christ. Okay, because none of us have. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what brings me to the third story. Back to back to back stories. The first one is about a lost sheep one of a hundred. The second one is about a lost coin, one of 10. Both of these stories, the person that lost them went out seeking them. The third one is about a lost son. And it goes like this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm here starving to death. I'll set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, someone say a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. By the way, this story is not just about one son. It's about two sons. And I don't want to spoil the story, but look at the person next to you and say, you're one of the sons. Only two options here. You're not the father. You're not the onlooker from above. It's like, oh, let's look at this story. This is great. No, you're one of these, you're one of these guys right here. And you, you've been one of these guys at some point in your life. Okay? So it says, the older son was in the field. While he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he calls one of the servants. He doesn't even ask his dad. He's like, hey, hey, you, come here, come here. He goes, what's that? What's all that stuff going on? And the guy goes, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out, just like he did in the last part of the story with the other brother. He went out to him, and in the same way, he went out to this lost son. You've got two sons that don't understand the love of their father. Neither one of them understand the love of their father correctly. And he goes out to this son and pleaded with him, and he answered his father, look at all these years I've been slaving for you. Isn't it interesting how the narrative of what you've been doing your whole life changes when you see someone else getting more attention than you? Because this older brother who has just been working, and I mean, this would be like kingdom people who have been a Christian for years. You've got a problem with other people that are being welcomed into the kingdom just as they are, when you go, well, I've been doing this for years and no one has said thank you to me. No one has thrown me a party. No one's celebrating me and putting me on Instagram when I, got, when I show up every week with all these people with you know, tats and, and nose rings that are celebrating them like they're the greatest thing in the world. No one celebrates me anymore. What's amazing is that the father goes out to this religious person and it's funny because the narrative changes. He's been slaving. I thought it was serving. I thought that you were just doing what you're supposed to do and just honoring God. But now the narrative changes once you get a little jealous, and now it's I've been slaving all these years. I never disobeyed your orders. I mean, he's just going down his, his list of accomplishments. He's, he's going, that guy that cut me off the other day, I could have flicked him off four times, and I didn't. Like, he's going down his list of achievements, all these, I have paid my tithe. I, have, I mean, he's going down all the You never once gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, see, and also, there's a disconnect. It's not his brother. This son of yours, who has squandered your property, look how judgmental, with prostitutes, you can, I mean, he's trying to just tear him down. Anything he can to make him lower and lower and lower. Comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, if this was my son, I'd be like, then bounce, homie. <laughs> I mean, I'd be like, that's my boy. Then bounce, you go find a better gig if you got one. I mean, but I'm, I'm a terrible person compared to God. This is about God. God is actually loving and kind. So much kinder than me. Look what he says. He goes, my son, even in this bad attitude, God, isn't it great that God loves us in our brokenness? God loves us in our stupidity? Thank you, Lord. I'd be in trouble if he did it. He goes, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. 
you know what? The story just ends right there. We don't know what happens. We don't know if the brothers get back together. I mean, I love the way God does this. The Bible is brilliant. It's just like watching a movie and all of a sudden the screen just goes blank and the sound goes off. You're like, is it over? What just happened right there? <laughs> really? Then it says the end. You're like, it's actually over. Like, I'm going to stay to the end. There has to be like post credit scene like a Marvel movie. What's going on here? There's nothing. That's it. Why does the story end like that? Because I believe that you and I are the older son. I believe it's a dot, dot, dot story. We have to finish the story in our own life. We have to make a decision how we're going to treat broken people. We have to make a decision if we're going to be the ones that when we find out our brother or our sister is lost, if we go out and form a search party or not. It's a terrible feeling to be lost. I asked you last week a big question. I asked you if you ever lost somebody. Now let me ask you a different question. Have you ever been lost? Raise your hand if you've ever got lost. <laughs> Husbands, you better raise your hand because you drive. <laughs> you drive your family everywhere. And what's the common thread between lost men when they're driving? Denial, good way to say it, Dad, I like that. That's why you're the OG. <laughs> Denial. No, nobody wants to admit they're lost. It's like my family. Like I took my family a few years ago. The kids were pretty little, but we were in uh, California. We drove from San Francisco down to L.A. We, on, on PCH. I was trying to find an in and out so like we could go experience this awesome food. And so I thought I knew where it was, and I thought I was supposed to turn on this exit. So I turn on this exit right off PCH. I'm driving, I'm driving. Five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles. Like there's mountains all over the place. And like my, you know, 11 year old daughter in the back was like, Daddy, is everything okay? I'm like, be quiet. <laughs> Go to sleep. <laughs> and then, you know, the name starts piping up. She gets a little fired up. She's like, Yes, you know, are, are we? I'm like, Babe, I'm trying to show you guys real California. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, where am I right now? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a. <laughs> It's a terrible feeling. It's like I went to this, uh, there's this new neighborhood over there. I was just trying to explore, you know, sometimes I'll just drive around and try to see what's in my town. There's a place called Kindred. Uh, and it's like this new neighborhood that's back here. And it's the biggest place in the world. It's like the size of Cuba. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's enormous. It's one of the biggest places I've ever seen. It's, it's, it's the size of New Hampshire. Like this place is big. It should be its own place on a map. I got in there and I got so lost. And you say, how do you get lost? in a place like that, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. I was, I was going down streets, and then I'm, at first it was kind of fun. I was like, wow, look how big this is. And then I was like, I keep coming to the same, same stop sign. You ever seen the movie, the, the, show, the show The Twilight Zone, like, like where people get transported? I started getting scared. I called my wife just to make sure that I was still in reality. I was like, babe, can you look on Google Maps for Kindred? Uh, is there, and like you get freaked out, and like I kept driving around, but you know what? I finally saw a sign that said exit. And I started speaking in tongues when I saw it. I was like, thank you, Jesus. You love me, Lord. My Savior. Praise you, Lord. Because I got scared. Like, when you're lost, you don't want to admit it. But you know what feels good when you're lost? A sign. A sign. That gives you a little hope. I can get you back on track. And in this story, there's two lost people. 
There's only two kinds of lost people. Those that know it and those that don't. And in this story, we've got one young man who squandered his whole future on wild living. He wanted his whole inheritance. So he ended up getting 33% of his dad's total inheritance because in Jewish culture, the older brother got a double portion, which means if there's $100,000, the older brother gets 66,000, the younger brother gets 33. So let's think about what happens. There's only 100,000 total. He takes his 33 and he goes. Maybe this will tell you why the older brother was so frustrated when the younger brother comes back because he realizes that if the father makes him a true part of the family again, he's now entitled to 33% of everything that's left. So he's already taken 33%, and if he gets 33% of the 66,000 that's left, he'll end up getting 55,000, and the older brother will only have 45,000. Are we starting to understand a little bit why the older brother's so frustrated? See, and the older brother is lost, and he doesn't know it. So, in part two of No Lost Causes, I'm trying to make a plea to those that are lost and know it. And what do you mean by you know it? Well, I mean, in this story, this guy's wasted everything he had. Maybe you're here today, and you've wasted all the resources that God has given you to love other people. You can barely get by on your own. You're just living day to day. And in this story, he looked down at this pig food, and he goes, man, that looks good. And then that was, a, that, was a, that was a sign for him. He goes, my God, what am I doing? My dad has people that work for him that eat better than me. And then, then he starts formulating this story in his head. He goes, I'll go home. I'll say I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll just ask him to give me a job. And all these things that he thinks in his mind, and he takes a shot and he goes for it. He doesn't realize that the father's already looking for him. The father's scanning the horizon. He goes, is that my boy right there? And when the father sees him, the father starts running toward him. And there's a reunion. So maybe you're hearing your loss like that. And today is a sign. It's kind of a wake-up call to go, I, I just can't live this way anymore. But maybe you're lost today, and before you got here, you didn't know it. Maybe you're a person that sort of judges others and looks down on people that don't have their act together. Can I tell you something? The word prodigal, this is, people call this story the prodigal son. Did you know prodigal doesn't mean someone that's lost and living a wild life? The word prodigal actually means wasteful. If you study the word, it means the wasteful son. But I even think that that name is the improper name for this story because I think it should be called the prodigal sons. Because I think one wasted the father's money, the other wasted the father's love. The other didn't realize how much his father loved him. And he was lost because he missed out on the father's love. One was lost because he misused the father's resources, but the other one was lost because he misused the father's love. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you've had a problem other people being celebrated and other people coming into the kingdom that you don't agree with them or you don't agree with their life or what it looks like or they haven't got it all together. No matter who you are today, if you're lost, let your father wrap his arms around you and bring you back home today. No, nothing is worse than the feeling of being lost. You got a God that loves you. Jesus told these stories. The value of each thing he was talking about kept increasing, increasing. It went from a sheep to a valuable coin to a son. You're his child today. He loves you so much today. He doesn't want you to be lost. You don't have to be lost. 
This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.